said, I want you to. Only if you can, though. And I don't know, should I let him or let him keep it for tonight? No, you guys are being too nice to him. He will be preaching in just a little bit. <laughs> tonight, all he'll be doing is just mouthing the words, I love Jesus. Seriously, there has only been one time I've had to hand the mic to somebody while being up here. Um, just something happened with my voice. I had been preaching and preaching. And, and do you remember that? You're, yeah, and I just had to hand it off. I said, I, said, I can't talk anymore. And my voice was gone. I, I couldn't even do it. Every time I would open my mouth, it would bring me a massive headache. And because uh, I kept pushing past where even my brother was at. And I've, I've been there. But, uh, brother, you just... Preach whatever God gives you, and we'll hear your, your sweet whispers of the Lord. I wish I had an Irish accent like you, but we'll just hear your sweet, sweet whispers. Let me just say this once again because, you know, I just love fellowshipping, and I love making services awkward. When I was with him, we got into the vehicle. We were out in the gospel truck, so we were together, and it's, an, it's a U-Haul, you know, so three of us are sitting there about ready to haul out the devil's garbage and haul in Jesus, amen, to the, to the downtown area. But when I was sitting next to him, there was just this strong freshness coming off of him, this strong aroma. And I said, brother, <laughs> I don't even know where my accent's coming from. Brother, you smell like the Irish spring. And then I said to the other brother, I said, smell him, smell him. And so my other brother started smelling him. It's like, oh, you smell good. Irish spring. Now I know where that comes from. I had no idea. But out of their pores, out of their pores, comes the Irish spring. Hallelujah. Praise God. Are you ready for a good rebuking now that you've laughed a little bit? Go with me to Revelation chapter 3. Sardis going through the book of Revelation verse by verse. Somebody say, wake up. Amen. Wake up. This is the word that God gave the Sardis church. If you're new with us, we're simply doing a series through the book of Revelation, verse by verse, and we're at the point right now where we're hearing Jesus' judgments towards the church. Oftentimes, people think that Jesus doesn't have anything to say to people except, I love you, and I appreciate you, and thank you for all you do. No, Jesus has a lot more than gratitude to his churches. Jesus gives them a report card, and they're not passing a lot of them. There's only two that really get a passing grade in, in flying colors. The rest, uh, like Sardis, do fairly bad, and probably it's close to failing. And then Laodicea is about ready to make Jesus throw up. So, you know, you got to grow up before Jesus throws up. And so this is the real deal here today, and we want to introduce you to the Jesus of the Bible. So once again, if you're new and you haven't read the red letters of Jesus in Revelation and all you think of is little baby Jesus, that's this little baby Jesus, little tickle, tickle, tickle baby Jesus, and just suffering, you know, the blonde hair, Brad Pitt, you know, he's a little hot, he's a little sexy, but he's dying for our sins. If that's all you think of, you have the wrong Jesus. He probably didn't look anything like that. He was probably a manly man. John, stand up. This is what I think our Jesus looked like. Come on, give it up for somebody that should play Jesus in the play. Like this man. Have, have a little melatonin in his skin, a little healthy on the muscles, amen? Come on. And, and he was dying as a hero. He wasn't dying as like a simpleton. You know, that's why I don't like seeing all the emaciated Jesus up there. Show me the brave heart, Jesus. Show me the Jesus that has the, the heart of a lion but giving his life for his people, you know. 
That's why I love, uh, you know, fiction that kind of ties into the stories of the Bible, like Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, the lion giving their life for the, the people. What a powerful illustration we would see in Jesus, the lion laying down his life. And so we have to be introduced to the Jesus of the Bible. This is the Jesus that's coming back to judge us. And our churches are going to be judged. Our locations, our leaders are going to be judged. And we here ought to take these words serious from the leaders to those involved in the congregation. Nobody Nobody's getting off easy. Nobody just gets, you know, a star next to their name because they came on Sundays. We have to be the ones that God called us to be. And once again, only Laodicea is probably on the edge of hell. The rest of, well, some of them are on the edge of hell as well. But even the ones that are not, they may still go to heaven, but they're going to lose their rewards. And so some of us who may say, well, I just want to go to heaven and that's it. You're not thinking kingdom. You should not go to heaven disgracing the name of Christ, getting all your rewards burned up. It would be like Jesus saying, okay, now let me show you what you could have done, you know? Like he's given you the crown or the reward of what you did do. You accepted him. This is the crown of everlasting life. And maybe during Christmas time, you stood up with your friends and family. <clears throat> Excuse me, everybody. Can I tell you the reason for the season? It's Jesus. And so, bing, you get like a little diamond placed on that crown, okay? But then Jesus says to you, do you want to see all the other things that you could have done for my glory? Do you want to see the riches of heaven that I would have given you here on Judgment Day? This is what you would have received. Great would be your reward. D.L. Moody says that when he goes to heaven, he doesn't want anything left up there that should have came down here. We need to be more like D.L. Moody. Everything that God has to bring down here, we need to say, bring it on down, Lord. I don't want to get up to heaven and him walk me by a warehouse and say, let me show you all the stuff I wanted to bring down on the earth, but you never asked or, or, or went out in obedience to, to bring down. I wanted to save souls. I wanted to bring revival. I wanted to, to, to see people saved and healed and all of that. I had to go use someone else because you didn't want to use it. Somebody say, use it or lose it. Amen. So I have the chart here that I have made because every pastor should have charts. How many like charts? Amen. Especially when you go through Revelation, the charts are going to get intense, okay? There will be a point where I'm going to have a cork board up here, and I'm going to have yarn and string, and I will be connecting it all together, okay? And then every now and then I'll just look back and go, do you all got this? And then the Antichrist comes, and then there's another thing over here connected to this. No, I'm half kidding, but when we get to all of that, I'm going to give you the most base foundation of how I understand these playing out in time. But there will be enough, enough of meat on the bone message of practical application through all the uh, judgments, the horsemen, the seals, the bulls of wrath. We'll get what we're supposed to get out of that. Now, the, ta the timeline, pre-trib, post-trib, etc., I'm pantry. I believe it's all going to pan out. Can I hear an amen to them? And when, as a church, we have settled with pre-tribulation uh, rapture and a literal millennial reign. But if anybody asks me to debate it, I would say, I'm only debating this if you buy me Red Lobster and we don't record it and I just get to eat and listen to you talk most of the time. Because honestly, I don't have that much of a passion for this. Okay, so if you're bringing me to debate this, there's got to be a Red Lobster involved in there somewhere. And then you can just be like, and then this is what's wrong about this. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, I got you. I get what you're coming from. That, you know what? I can see it that way too. Can I get another one while we stay here? Because you're kind of long-winded on that. I'll get it at the three-pounder this time, okay? 
So, yeah, we'll debate the deity of Christ. We will debate the Trinity. We will. We will. We will. We have no fear of man here to lay down the doctrines of Christ. You want to hold my feet to the fire on how the book of Revelation is playing out? That's not happening here. Okay? And every person who does it, I am just, anybody who tries, I always, I always look at them like, Mr. T, I pity that fool. I pity that fool. What are you trying to do, man? Every time somebody says, I got this thing nailed down, they know who the Antichrist is. It just makes them look like a fool. But then they might look back at you and be like, well, I'm a rich fool. I sold the four blood moon book, and they bought it. I sold Obama was the Antichrist, and they bought it. Man, I'm not going to be a rich fool. I'm not trading my soul for that nonsense. Amen. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we will break it down and make it applicable. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the church of Sardis, and it's the sermon title, Wake Up. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast. Somebody say, hold it fast. Amen. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And everybody said... Amen. As it is our habit, as the chart, dem- the chart demonstrates, I break it down a certain way that I think is a pattern of Jesus, and you will notice a change of pattern. So maybe I can just give it to you now. Most times, as we look to the chart, and it may be hard to see up here these headings, but normally Jesus uh, introduces himself with a declaration and then gives praise and then gives a rebuke and an instruction and some kind of thing to do with a warning and an ending. But there are two times where he doesn't start with praise. That's in Sardis and Laodicea, and Laodicea never gets praise. Sardis gets praise towards the end, but they never get it, uh, excuse me, they get it towards the end, but, but Laodicea never gets it. And the reason why I want to bring this up here is because we cannot make a rule out of the sandwich uh, way of critiquing, which is compliment, critique, compliment, say, well, that's the way Jesus did it. Not all the time. Sometimes Jesus lays in right with the rebuke. That's what he does here. So his opening declaration teaching us about who he is, because remember, the book of Revelation is not revelations. Understand that that's going to make a theological nerd like me be a little bit upset and be like, why are you saying revelations? Revelations chapter one. No, it's revelation, the apocalypto in the Greek and Latin uh, apocalypse. The revelation singular is of Jesus. The entire book is revealing to us who Jesus is. Jesus is not the side character. Jesus is not an afterthought. Everything else is the afterthought. The Antichrist is is a secondary uh, player in this thing. All the judgments, secondary. Everything that is primary is about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is coming to his church. Jesus is judging the world. Jesus is establishing his kingdom. Somebody say Jesus. Amen. So his declaration is as he holds the seven spirits. 
We have talked about this being the seven manifestations of God's Spirit as brought out in Isaiah. We talked about that in Revelation chapter 1. We don't have time to get into those things right now. It's already been discussed. But there are not seven spirits of God as in the sense of seven separate spirits. It is the one Holy Spirit manifesting himself upon the earth in seven different ways with the spirit of wisdom, with the spirit of knowledge, etc. We have discussed those manifestations of the Holy Spirit as he comes. And so God is the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The seven stars that we know are the seven uh, pastors that he is holding in his hands because we believe that the angel he is speaking to here is not a heavenly messenger. We've discussed this word as angelos, and it simply means messenger. So messengers can come from two places. They can come from the earth. I can be a messenger to you, or a messenger can come from heaven like Gabriel, Michael, and those that we've heard about in the Bible. So we went through this as well to discuss which kind of messenger is this. Is Jesus talking to a heavenly messenger about the churches or is he talking to an earthly messenger about the church? And we decided that the best interpretation would be to take this as talking to the earthly messenger because what's the point of telling Gabriel what he thinks about the church? Has Gabriel showed up to pastor you lately? No, so the person that's pastoring and leading needs to know what he's saying to the church. So we believe that that is important to understand there. So he's holding the uh, stars in his hand and the seven spirits. Now, this is very important to understand this because as we've taught the deity of Christ through the book of Revelation, this is a part where people get confused, and we often debate this, whether it is with Jehovah Witnesses or black Hebrew Israelites, all of these things you can find online. We have documented our debates there. But what they will say is that when it mentions in verse 2 that he is rebuking them for not doing good deeds in the sight of my God, they will then say back to you, how is Jesus God if he has a God? We have to have an answer to that, do we not? Jesus said, my God. He said right there, your deeds are unfinished in the sight of my God. Well, before I answer that, and I wish I could call on somebody to see if you remember because I actually already have. Nobody's already looking at me. I wanted to see somebody, somebody smiling like, okay, I might call on you. Before, before I get into that explanation, I want you to always walk through the passage with people. And sometimes even I was debating with a, a Christian the other day online, and I said this to him, and, and he couldn't play by these rules. Anytime, even a Christian, yourself, or especially a false religion that can't do this, you know there's something wrong. Stay within the text. Before we go to another text, stay within that immediate text. If you're calling into question Jesus' deity from this text, now I'm like the guy who walks in and says, well, I'm just going to lock the door, and you're not leaving for a while, and we're going to sit and discuss this till we settle it. So how I become like kind of the weirdy in the white van, let's go, take off, we got them, is where I go, okay, you like this text? This is the text you want us to go to? Are you sure this is the text you want to be at to say Jesus is a secondary creature and not God? Now we're going to we're going to put on the brakes, lock the doors. We're not leaving this text until we find out what it says. Well, we need to go to Scripture to interpret Scripture. How can you interpret a Scripture with a Scripture if you haven't first interpreted the Scripture you're looking at? Hello? Well, I'm going to build a foundation with the foundation. Well, where did your foundation come from that you're going to build now with the, to build the other foundation? We have to start with a foundation we're building here. You don't go over there to build a foundation for something that's over here. You start within the text right here. Somebody say right here if you're sassy. Come on, right here, baby. We're going to start right here in the text. You want to show me 
that you don't think Jesus is God because he has a God. Okay, you want to go right here, but I'm just going to back that up. Somebody say back that thing up. I'm going to back that thing up right to here. It says he holds the seven spirits of God. Show me any creature that holds the Holy Spirit in his hand, you spiritual oompa loompa. You think, the, you think the angel Gabriel can hold the Holy Spirit in his hands? Y'all better think about that. Sometimes you think, you're like, oh, I got the Holy Spirit. It's just a nice little spirit. I got a nice little spirit living inside of me. The Holy Spirit's so nice. How you doing, little Holy Spirit? You got the Holy Spirit who made the known universe on the inside of you. That is no joke. You have what's more powerful than the Niagara Falls, than a volcano, than the stars combusting all of their, their gases. And, oh, my goodness, you have on the inside of you the Holy Spirit. So don't play with the Holy Spirit like it's a joke. And the Holy Spirit's not feminine. I love that God can relate to the feminine attributes of a woman because male and female were made from the image of God. But God relates all of his personalities and the Father, Son, and Spirit to masculine. He is directed to us as a he. Are you listening? He is a he, and he has power to do all that the Father and Son do, but he restricts it only to what they say to do. By the Father, through the Son, to the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit acts. And so who but God can hold the spirits in his hand? So you want to park on this text and say that because my Jesus has a God, he himself cannot be God, who holds the seven spirits in his hand but God himself. But he is not the Father. He is the Son. He is unique from the Father, but equal, equal in his nature. In his nature, he is like the Father, but in his personhood, he is himself an individual person. And so we want to show them that right here at the beginning, that this is a classification of deity. The one who holds the seven spirits can only but be divine. Can you hold the Niagara Falls in your hand? That would be like an angel trying to hold the Holy Spirit in his hand. But Jesus can hold the Holy Spirit. Now, why does Jesus say that he has a God? If we go to the book of Revelation and we go to our text, brothers, will you put in here Revelation chapter 1, we'll understand. And then I will go to another book. But I want to stay within the very text that they're at. And we know there's not chapters or verses, so we're just going to keep backing that thing up. Somebody say, back that thing up. I don't know if you're going to get a chance to preach, brother. I haven't even got to the message yet. I'm still at the reviewing of the passage. I had a message. Maybe you and I might have to preach at the same time. Maybe you'll take half the congregation that wants to hear the application, and I'll take half the congregation that wants to hear the hermeneutical side. Oh, man, I love, I love you. I love you. I'm just embarrassing him. I'm just the guy that does that. I'm, I embarrass my kids. I embarrass guests. What's wrong with me? Now, why does Jesus have a God according to the book of Revelation? The word of God, look at here, it says, he, uh, uh, John is receiving this to testify about the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. But why does, why does Jesus have a God? Because Jesus is the one that came into the flesh to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the rulers of the kings of the earth. For Jesus to be crucified, what did Jesus have to have? flesh. So that means the son had to do what? He had to die. By, but first, before he could die, he had to what? Live in the flesh. So now let me ask you a question. Is there any flesh on this earth that does not have God as their God? 
Can any flesh be on this planet and be outside of the realm of God? So the moment Jesus takes on flesh, does he have a God or is he an atheist? Of course he has a God. But does that mean he's no longer equal to God? No, it doesn't. See, they're reading into that. Do I have a father on earth made of flesh? Am I also a father that's made of flesh? Yes, so I can be a father, have a father, but are me and my father of different natures? We're both of human nature. Jesus can come in the flesh and have a father and have a God and respond to him as God, as our perfect example, and yet be God in his nature at the same time, just like I, in the nature of a human, can have a father, have authority in my house as a leader, and yet both my father and I have the same human nature. And so this is where they confuse nature with roles. Jesus' nature is unchanged in him taking on the role of a servant. When he comes in the role of a servant to die on the cross, that does not change his nature. I could take on the role of a waiter. Does that change my human nature? I could take on the role of a mechanic. Does that change my human nature? I could take on the role of an astronaut and put on a spacesuit and go into a different environment. Does that change my nature? When God took on flesh, as we now can move them to another scripture, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, John 1.14. When the Word took on flesh, did he stop being God? When I put on an earth, a spacesuit, do I stop being man or a human? No, God took on flesh, remaining in the nature of God, never giving up his divinity, only setting aside his privileges as God and adding to his divine nature a complete human nature. Therefore, he is the God-man, the theanthropos. This is the hypostatic union, the union of God with man. 100% God, 100% man. We do not believe in a man becoming God, but God becoming a man while retaining his divinity. So in the flesh, does the Son have a God? Absolutely. Now we'll take him to the other scriptures to line up those precepts. How many want to see those precepts to be lined up? Those scriptures that teach us those things. So brothers, let's go to, say, let's start in Jeremiah. As a matter of fact, I'm going to refresh this. Can you hit enter for me, please? Because I added this in back there. If you guys wonder what I do back there, I watch you guys online. I kind of like stalk you. I can hear you, but then I stalk you. Thank you, sir. And then I add to things that I have forgotten to put in here. Amen. Did I save it? Oh, man, I didn't save it back there. Shame on me. Uh, God of all flesh. Let's Google that, and let's go to the Jeremiah passage. Oh, man, I apologize, guys. I just knew I had to put that in there. And you refreshed it? Can you refresh it again, brother? Can you just refresh it one more time? Maybe it's taking a second. God, uh, yes. 32 what? Jeremiah chapter 32, 27. And then we'll see if that refreshes it back in. If not, I'll have it for you guys uh, for second service or from this time forward when you want to look back. Look at Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27, you said, sister? Thank you. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. And what we'll do is we will put that, there we go, of the God of all mankind, and we'll go right here to the King James Version. And it says, I am the God of all flesh. So when Jesus takes on flesh, does he have God to be his God? 
Absolutely. Just like in those examples that I gave you, if I take on an earth suit, a space suit and all of that, I'm still remaining to be a human being, but I may have a boss, I may have a captain, all of these things. Now, where do we go to show people the condensation or the, not the condensation, not condensation like with water, but I'm, I'm going downhill now, Jesus, please help me. What's the word? He, can, he, condens, he descended, condescended. Condescended, not condensation. Okay. Condescension. Thank you. Condescension. Now that we've lost all of our visitors and are never coming back. <sighs> there we go. Condens I kind of want to keep saying condensation. Could somebody say the word properly for me, please? Condensation. For those who want to know how to spell it, C-O-N-D-E-N-S-A-T-I-O-N. You know where this comes from? Reading too many books and not reading them out loud, honestly. In my mind, I know what that word is. I've read that so many different times. He is condescending. There we go. If I say it like a preacher, God condescended. He condescended to the earth. If you want to see that, let's go to Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2. God condescended. Oh, God condescended. How about we just say God came down and humbled himself? I'll, I'll stretch out that word into a long sentence. And by the way, I get paid to talk for a living. How am I doing today? And sometimes people are like, and this is the guy who writes the books and has the doctorate? He's in charge? Yes. And let that inspire you that if I can do it, anyone can do it. If I can be up here and just totally mess up that word for a long time and forget to uh, you know, refresh my notes, you can do this as well. Reminding everybody that it's a gift of God to speak. Amen. Doesn't he always humble us and remind us we're nothing without him? Let's uh, keep this in the modern translation. You can see as the poetic nature of it listed out, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Notice Paul teaching us how this is going to work. But we did not leave the text of Revelation until we established it there. We established that he holds the Spirit of God. He must be divine. We established that the reason why he must have a God is because he came into flesh to die. Does everybody get it? Now we should be able to go through the Scriptures and see how this works. We have shown them and shown our uh, accuser th that in Jeremiah, God is the the God of all flesh, so his Father will be over him when he takes on flesh. And even in heaven, does he still have on flesh? Yes, he is forever now the God-man, glorified flesh. Now notice how Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, who being in very nature God. The argument is over here. What nature is Jesus in? Is there any confusion in the writing here? No, do not let anybody try to trick you with the knowledge of the Greek. The knowledge of the Greek only confirms what the translation says. Jesus, the one that's being referred to here, is in the very nature God. Now, he did not consider his equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Can I use my equality with Michael Jordan to my own advantage today? No, because I don't have the equality to begin with. This would make no sense unless he had the equality. Can I use the equality of Bill Gates to my own advantage right now? No, because I don't have equality in finances. The only way that this is going to draw out humility, because people are fighting in the church, and Jesus is going to be used as the example of humility for these folks to get along, the only way humility is going to work with Jesus in this situation is if he had something that he willingly sets aside. And this is the equality he had in his rights and privileges as 
as the Son of God. He is in nature God, like the Father is in nature God. In the, and the Holy Spirit is in the nature God. He is in the nature God, but he does not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a what? of a serpent being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So now you see the two natures. Before the incarnation, and I love this with my Spanish speakers, Incarnacion, what movie is that from? Nacho Libre, Incarnacion. But in incarnation comes from carne asada, Carne. What is carne? I know I'm trying. Meat. But it means specifically in Latin what? Flesh. Carne. The incarnation is the one in nature God taking on a second nature human. Does he ever lose the nature of God? No, he adds on the nature of human. And being found in human appearance as man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is why Jesus is proclaiming that their deeds are unfinished in the sight of his God. Back to the introduction. Jesus holds the seven spirits and seven stars in his hand. Where is the rebuke given to this congregation? They have a reputation of being alive, but they are really dead spiritually because their works are unfinished. This should be a conviction to us. This should be a conviction because all of us here would probably say, I'm alive. You know, I'm alive in Christ. I have good deeds. I'm doing good things for the Lord. But the question is, how does God view us? And I always uh, like to liken this to ways that we can get it. And this is what I call the half-baked cake syndrome. Everybody say half-baked cake syndrome. See, I can say that pretty good. Amen. Half-baked cake syndrome. And that is, as a pastor, I see many of you going to the oven of the Lord saying, mold me, shape me, God. Make me delicious to the church I attend. Make me a, a, a sweet aroma to the culture that I live in, Lord. Make me a beautiful cake, okay? Lord, make me that cake. But then some of you say, well, I'm done, Jesus. And you hop out, and we taste your attitude, and we taste that, that egg that's uncooked, that nasty flour, and we spit it out, and we go, you're not done. You're half baked. And then they go, well, I'll start another church. <laughs> you know, come on, we've seen that. And well, okay, you don't want to listen to us. You want to go sell your half baked product to a whole bunch of other people that don't know what a real cake tastes like. That's all right. You backslidden and they're backslidden. Now, we have to be honest with ourselves and not run from the rebukes of, of godly people, but really understand is God saying to us, we're half baked? Because I could be half baked. I could be up here holding the microphone being half-baked. Denominational leaders could be half-baked. We have to examine ourselves, as the Scripture says. And like David said in the Psalms, he said, Lord, try me and test me and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. How many want a heart like that before God? Lord, examine my heart. The Scriptures also say, take heed when you think you stand lest you fall. So this, this church is probably on the outside very similar to what we have here today. 
people who love to witness, people who love to share their faith, to keep the, the morals of the scriptures. Like if you would have asked them how many genders are there, they probably would have said two. Amen? Would you say there's two genders? If you ask them how is procreation supposed to be done, male and female, if, if you ask them what is supposed to happen to the baby inside the womb, they would probably say let the baby live and not murder the baby. Can I hear an amen? They, they would have the right answers. If you went through the doctrines we just have gone through, they would say, of course, Jesus is equal to the Father in very nature God, but he took on flesh and therefore serves his Father as God and is an example to us. They would understand all of that. But the rebuke from Jesus is that it's unfinished and it seems like they don't care. It seems like they want to stop where they're at because they have something possibly to boast about compared to everybody else. Well, at least I'm in the oven, my friend's not. At least I got some cooking going on here, and my friend is not. At least we're better than Laodicea because we're not making Jesus puke. Maybe he just spits us out, but we don't make Jesus sick. Something has deceived them, and we don't know what it is, but as a pastor, I can, you know, kind of come off with some ideas, humbly, just to the best of my knowledge here, to apply it to us because I see it all the time. That once we feel like we got this thing down, we don't need Jesus anymore. We don't need discipleship anymore. We're better than the rest. We've, we, we check the right boxes. And God may be looking at us totally different. Going, that's not what I'm looking for. It's just the right boxes checked off. I don't want part of your heart. I want all of your heart. Jesus is not coming into your condominium like a heart, like your heart is a condominium going, well, I'll just take, you know, E3 and live there. No, he's coming to take over the whole thing, baby. It's not just Jesus take the wheel, it's, it's Jesus take the whole car, take the keys, I'll hop in the trunk and then you let me know when I come out. Jesus be my co-pilot, no, Jesus be the pilot, Jesus be the plane, Jesus be the gas, Jesus be the GPS. Jesus finished this thing and the scriptures are very clear that he who began a good work in us will complete it. He will finish it until the day he comes. And so this is not a rebuke towards them not trying hard enough. You need to try harder. No, it's a lack of faith. It's a lack of trust. It's a lack of relationship. He is not saying to them, do more to be more. No, do, 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 do. Do all these things. All of our good works become doo-doo in the sight of God. He's not saying do, 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 do more to be more. He's saying from who you are, do what I've asked you to do. From the place of sonship, from the place of adoption, from the place of acceptance, from the master work of God, now do the good works prepared before the foundations of the world. And they have gotten complacent. They have gotten compromised. And I just fear that for us here today. Because I'm not comparing myself with the backslidden church down the road. I'm not comparing myself to Ravi Zachariah today in the, in the uh, nudie pics that he had on his phone. He's not the one I'm going to be judged by. I'm not going to be judged by Carl Lentz. I'm not going to be judged by these other mega churches with mega messes. I'm going to be judged by the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And without his righteousness, I am wholly inadequate. So it's not like, well, Metro Praise is so awesome because we opened up during COVID. We preached during the BLM riots. We, you know, we do discipleship. We have a gospel truck, you know. We're not here to boast in those things. Only thing we boast in is what God is doing and has done. And we are to let God, let God finish, participate in the divine nature and let him finish what he wants in our lives. But yet they won't. They're sleeping. And so he calls to them, wake up. How many needed somebody to wake them up today? 
both hands here. Nancy woke me up twice, and I said, I'm sleeping in. She goes, well, it's 7, because I normally wake up at 7. She's like, how much time do you need? And I'm like, 15 minutes. So I got an extra 15 minutes today. I'm ashamed once again. How many still love me and will pray for me? But if I told you it did not hurt this morning, I would be lying before God and you. I cannot lie to you. It hurt this morning getting up. I haven't drank coffee in over 20 years, tea or anything caffeinated, but I was about ready to go downstairs and say, honey, just pour it right in here. And I would be bouncing off every wall right now probably. Could you imagine me caffeinated? This is the, this is the decaf version. So, yes, we need to get woke up when we're tired, when we have gone through a battle. But shame on us if we don't get up and allow the flesh to get transformed by discipline, healthy diet, exercise. And how much more should we be shamed if we're lazy in the spirit to not get up in the things of God and to wake up to prayer, wake up to reading our scriptures, wake up to devotion, not from a place of doing works to impress our Father, but to walk worthy of that which he has given us. And in actuality, what is the thing that he's really telling them to do? He's saying, hold to the teachings. So really the good work here is hold on to the faith. Don't get discouraged to walk away from, you know, get discouraged and walk away. Keep holding on and repent for not being alive. Here comes the warning if you do not wake up. He says, I'm going to come like a thief, and that is a judgment because the world is going to be the ones that are surprised when Jesus comes back. We should be like, no, this is right about time. How many would be surprised if he came back today? I wouldn't. I would be like, all right, Jesus, right about time. I was, I was ready for the Antichrist to come out next with the chip because I already drove by the United Center, and they're getting that vaccine, you know, right now, like, like blindly getting Once again, I'm not anti-vaccine. I love all my vegan weirdy friends in the church. You guys can be anti-vaccine. I'm just peculiar about vaccines that come out within, you know, a short amount of time for something that's less harmful than most uh, the occasional flu. But, but listen, when I saw those tents set up and everybody just going in like drones, it was like a wake-up call. I'm not saying it's the mark of the beast. Some people in our church do believe that, and, and you might be wrong. Okay, probably are. But let me just say this. It's, it's just a prelude because if they can just shoot you up with something that probably wouldn't kill you anyway and everybody's already in lines for it, what about the thing where they say you can't trade Bitcoin and everything's now crypto until we put a chip right in here that has all your medical records? I mean, that's just, that's just something you can see in the scriptures. We don't have to argue about the timeline of this. Do we not see that getting nearer, though? Are we getting closer to a time where a figure like Christ but Antichrist will rise up and use technology and religion and government to oppress God's people? Do we not see ourselves getting close to that? And so then for those people, Christ will come like a thief. And now he's saying, you guys are so wicked and asleep that it's going to be like that for you. If you don't, repent. And so then he ends, and this is what I love, because my brother was in the bathroom, and you didn't soil yourself, did you, my brother? You did not soil yourself. Praise God. How many are happy you don't soil yourself anymore? I have six kids, and they still soil themselves. They do. Can I, just, can I preach it like how I see it in the spirit right now? I see a lot of Christians with dirty, soiled diapers. And they stink. I'm telling you, they got soiled diapers. They don't want sound doctrine. They don't want to live according to the scriptures. All they want to do is eat and get fat and soil themselves. They don't want to learn the things of God to become mature. But he says, not all of you are like this there. There are some. And I like to hear it says, there are a few. Somebody say the faithful few. 
There are a faithful few who have not soiled their clothes. That means that they are living holy. And whatever comes on their clothes, just like you, if it was to get soiled by dirt or dust or, you know, something from food, you would get it off with a dust cleaner. You know those things? My wife just got one of those. You would, you would get a rag. You know, if you had something on your, you know, if you had some mustard here, you would get it off. So can the Christian sin? Yes, the Christian can, though they shouldn't. He said, I write these things to you, 1 John chapter 2. I write these things to you that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the righteous one, who is not only the propitiation for our sins, but the sins of the world. So he says, I write to you that you don't put mustard on yourself, but if you do, God will cleanse you. And so he's, he's saying to them, these are the ones who might have sinned. They still may have issues in their life, but they are not soiling themselves. They come to the blood of Jesus, not as a filthy rag to sin, to be cleansed, to, be, to sin again, to cleanse again. They come to the Lord to be dressed in white with honor, to live holy, to whatever they've repented of, they don't repent of. Is there anything you repent of that you wish you could still do? That's not true repentance. This is a repentance that is not repented of. Everything that I've repented of, I ought not to ever desire to do again by God's grace. And so he says to them, there's a few of you there. How many are the faithful few here today? In Jesus' name, there's a faithful few that have not soiled their clothes. And then he gives them this declaration. This is amazing. He says to the unsoiled, they will be dressed in white. This is a symbol of God's purity and holiness upon his people. The glory of God will cover us like a robe, shining brighter than the sun, like white. The Bible says when Jesus was transformed before them, it was bright like lightning, something even brighter than the sun. The sun we get sometimes of the white, other times the yellow, different colors, but this would be even brighter than lightning. It will be pure holiness coming from them. The other declarations, he says, is their name will never be blotted out from the book of life. This is where I say to my, my friends that believe in once saved, always saved. My friend, if you believe in that, you better live like I'm right because you're, if you're wrong, you're going to hell. But if you just love Jesus, you'll never have to find out whether or not it's right or not, okay? How many believe that? And how many believe if they're right, I shouldn't live like it's right and just keep on sinning and see how much I can get away with? But these are the scriptures that I show my Christian brethren. They're Christian brethren, and we, we know we differ over things, that where a person can be blotted out, a Christian who once had their name written in the book of life can have it erased. That's exactly what it says. Look at the context. It's as clear as it could be, and it comes from these passages right here in the Old Testament. And as a matter of fact, for those who are going to be keeping count, this is our first Daniel reference. And Daniel will be referenced all throughout the book of Revelation. But now, here is our first. Daniel will be the most quoted book or referenced book from this point forward in the book of Revelation. But we see here, he says, I will never blot out that person's name from the book of life. And brothers, let's go to Psalm 68, 28, because David says to his enemies who are coming against him, Lord, they've crossed the line. Blot out their name. How many have ever prayed a prayer like that? No confessions here. No, we pray the New Testament prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But in church discipline, we may have to hand over some saints to Satan so that they can see the destruction of their flesh. How many believe that's still in the new covenant? We don't pray the, ju the judicial prayers of Psalm because that was under the old covenant. That's what I personally believe. If you want to pray the judicial prayers of, of, of Psalm, then that's between you and the Lord. But I believe those are fulfilled in Christ. And our prayer now, even for our enemies, is forgive them for they do not know what they do. Um, I believe, what did I say? Psalm 60, yes, what, what psalm is it, please? Where did I have it here? Yes, Psalm 69, verse 28, please. 
David says about his enemies, God blot out their name. And I believe God is using David to speak judicially over those who are oppressing him. And I honestly believe that this is a a foreshadowing of Jesus' prayer to the Father when judgment will come to the backsliders. So when judgment comes to the backsliders, Jesus will be saying this. So I often believe that these judicial prayers that come from David's mouth are actually uh, Jesus' prayers at the end. But notice this, may they be blotted out of the book of life and not listed with the righteous. If your name is blotted out, what does that mean your name was before it was blotted out? Written down. Can I erase something that wasn't first written down? It's pretty, pretty easy to get that one, right? I can't erase what hasn't been written down. So I always say to my backslider friend, how can you get cut off if you weren't in? That's John 15. How can you shipwreck what you weren't on? How can you get cut off from what you, uh, how can you get erased from what you weren't written down in? So we don't lose it like we lose a set of keys, but we can walk away from our salvation by remaining asleep, being hardened by sin's deceitfulness to the point where Jesus says enough's enough. And we call that reprobation. And it's a warning to Christians. You can blaspheme the Holy Spirit as a Christian if you continually deny his work in your life. In, in cemetery, I mean seminary, I had to defend this with the Baptists who believe once saved, always saved. And you can look us up online. You know, you can look up, can you lose your salvation on our website? And I bring out the warnings of Hebrews and how they perfectly align with what we're talking about today, that you're not losing salvation in the way like you lose a set of keys, but you're walking away, you're falling asleep, you're grieving the Holy Spirit, and then God hands you over to reprobation. Somebody say, help us, Lord. Amen. We don't want that. And so he says to them very clearly, you will be unsoiled and you'll be victorious for all of eternity. You'll never have your name blotted out. So they say back to us, well, we have eternal security because we never have to worry about losing it or being cut off. No, that's not total security because that can lead to greasy grace and sloppy agape. Eternal security is still knowing that I could walk away, but God will never break his word to me. It's like this. Judas could walk away, but Jesus also could draw back Judas, and Judas could have been like a Peter. So you can even come back. The Bible says the righteous may fall seven times, but they get back up. So don't be discouraged if you're a backslider, slide on back. Do that electric slide back to Jesus, amen? So I have eternal security because I know Christ is always able to handle whatever I'm going through. That's what he says. So think about this. In the midst of giving them a threat, he's also giving them a promise. He's like saying, you'll never be blotted out. But remember, there's a chance you could be blotted out. But the promise is to to those who hold on. Somebody say, hold on. For those who stay awake in the things of God, even if they should fall, God will raise them back up, and they will never be blotted out. What a precious promise for all of us. Nothing can hold us back. Nothing can keep us from finishing this race. And then he ends as he's ended all of his other letters, I mean, uh, his messages to the church. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. How many enjoyed that introduction today? Are you guys ready for me to tag team? Come on, we've got Adam Field. we got the preacher of man of faith and power for the hour. Tag team, preach. If you don't mind just standing up and closing your eyes, and if the worship team could come back. Father, we just welcome your presence into this wonderful time of the Word, feasting, feasting on the Word of the Lord here today. The Word of the Lord has gone forth. The Word of the Lord has gone forth. Jesus, 
We need you in this place, in this moment, because there's someone in this room that's on the verge of reprobate. There's someone in this room that's asleep. Someone in this room that's been playing games. Someone in this room that's singing these songs like it's karaoke on a Friday night at the Irish bar. These songs that we're singing aren't just an opportunity for you to show off your quality of song. It's not an opportunity just to get into a melody and, and feel really nice. It's a declaration of the state of where you're at in these lyrics that we sing. Right now, Pastor has laid it out. It could not have gotten any clearer. It could not have been expounded on any clearer that in this room right now, there is someone on the verge. You are, you are tinkering with sleeping. You, you're, you're, your eyes are drowsy. And you're at the wheel of your life. You're drinking too much alcohol. It's, it's, it's become something that you turn to now instead of Jesus for comfort and for peace. It's things now in your life that God's bringing back to memory. And he's saying to you, this is a, this is a moment, friend, that you might not get again. I believe that the Spirit of God will, will convict us. But there's a point where he won't always strive with us. There's a point where he says, I brought this church to you. I brought this sermon to you. How many times have you had to hear it? Why won't you let go of that cigarette? Why won't you stop smoking that weed? Why won't you stop turning to that alcohol for your peace? Why is pornography ruling you? Look at a woman properly. Why can't you think clearly? Why is there brain fog on you? Your doctor can't prescribe anything to help with this one. Your psychologist can't talk you through this one. Your psychiatrist might try to prescribe something to assist, but it's another distraction. Jesus is saying to you like he did to Adam and Eve when they were found out from what they had done and were hiding. Jesus is saying now, come out from behind what it is you are hiding because there is a sacrifice made for you to be clothed in not that Gucci fig leaves that are so uncomfortable. In not that, that nice H&M. That, that, oh, you, we clothe so much up right now in our generation. We're no different than what Jesus said about the Pharisees. You're so whitewashed, but you're a tomb in the inside. You've been pretending, and it's not real. You are one decision away right now from losing your marriage. You are one decision away right now. You know what's going on. You are one decision away right now from getting fired. You are one decision away right now. And the Lord's speaking to you. Now, now listen to me. When, when, when Jesus said that to Adam and Eve, when God said that to Adam and Eve, come out from behind that bush. Yeah, they had to come out in their shame. 
They had to come out in their guilt. But let me say something. There's something beautiful about coming out of the closet to God. See, when you come out of the closet to man, they make a mockery of you. When you come out of the closet to man, they, they make a mockery of you. And coming out of the closet sometimes, even in the church, sounds like a bad thing. If, you, if you've got homosexual temptation, coming out of the closet in the church means you're coming to Jesus for him to curse that temptation right out of you. Stop hiding those things from God. As if God doesn't already know what it is. As if God doesn't already see what you're struggling with. Hiding from God is ridiculous. It just doesn't make sense. You can't hide from him. You can't hide nothing from him. And the Bible says that if you walk in the light as he is in the light, then you will have fellowship with him and the blood of Jesus will cleanse you of sin. What does it mean to walk in the light? It's more than walking in righteousness and walking in holiness. Walking in the light, I believe, is also walking in transparency. Walking in honesty. Coming out from behind the bush publicly saying, God, I need you in this area. And right now, I'm going to give an opportunity for you to make that decision. This is not necessarily for the lost. This is not necessarily for someone that's first time here. I feel like the message Pastor brought today really wasn't for the street people out there. So if you're in here today thinking that the gospel's just going to be something that you can hide under in this church, you're wrong. See, some, some evangelists like me, we can easily hide under the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And the whole time, the gospel hasn't even affected our own personal lives. The gospel hasn't even worked into our own lives. In this room, there are no stone throwers. In this room, there are no gossips. In this room, there's no one talking at the side of the mouth about you. In this room, there is no one that's going to be shocked at your response here today. And at lunch go, I'm so glad they went up there. It's about time. They should have went up there six months ago. What's wrong with them? No one in this room. We love you. This is a house of love. This is a house of love. This is a house of love. There's more love here than in that bar. That bartender doesn't love you. He may tell you all nice things about you, but he's just flattering you for a big tip. Real love preaches the truth. Real love calls you out of what's hurting you. Real love exposes what's bringing you to hell. Real love puts arms around you, even in your nakedness, even in your disobedience, even in your filth, even in your blood, even in your shame, even in your guilt. Jesus wants to do that to you. God didn't turn his back on Adam and Eve. God clothed Adam and Eve. Don't turn your back and walk out this building. Keep going the way you're going, sleepwalking on maintenance, autopilot, and no relationship with Jesus Christ. Close your eyes across this room. Christian, if that's you, and you're here today, I want to see you do something that you might not have done in a very long time. I come across Christians all the time that have never responded to an altar call after they first got saved. 
Oh, they good. They good. They got it all together. Do you really have it all together? Are you just as bound as the people you're preaching to? Or are you just as sin as the people you judge? Just because they live differently than you do out there doesn't mean that you're right because you live better than they do. If you're not living in relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter how religious you are, you're still going to hell. Your name going to get blotted out. Your works can't save you. Your efforts can't save you. Jesus didn't die so that you could do, do, do like pastor said. Jesus died so you could have a relationship with the Father and you can't have relationship with the Father if you're lying to yourself, lying to the Spirit, lying to your pastor, lying to people. Come out now from behind the bush and say, God, here I am. No more secrets. I'm desperate. I'm not willing to sit in a pew and be hidden. I'm not willing just to be in the crowd because my pride's too strong to humble myself and show another person that I just might, that I just might need Jesus. One sec. How, how shocking it is. How shocking it is to me that so many today, especially the older, more mature believers, can't acknowledge that they still need Jesus Christ. As if all of the books that they've read while they're smoking their tobacco pipes like Spurgeon is going to get them some type of maturity and that they've graduated now from a need for Jesus because all the knowledge of the world has entered into their tiny little brain. And you don't need Jesus because you went to Bible school, because you went to seminary. No, I got all that under my belt. Listen, right now, Jesus is knocking on the door of someone in this room. If that's you today, would you come up here right now and stand right here with me so that I can see who you are? Leave that seat at this moment. Come out from behind that bush. Come out from behind that. Come out of the hiding place. Come out publicly. Come out publicly right now. I'm giving you an invitation. Let the Spirit of God draw you. If you're here today and you're like, I'd just rather be soiling my pants in that seat right now than coming up with courage to say, I want to make a public declaration of my need for Jesus Christ in this area of my life. I want you to come. Don't stand up soiling your pants. Don't be a coward. Don't be a chicken. Don't care what anyone else has to say. Come here. Father, in the name of Jesus, oh God, we welcome her. Sisters of the Lord, come. Sisters of the Lord, come. Come and put your arms of love on this precious woman. Sisters of the Lord, lay your hands on her. Love her like she's yours. Love her like she's your only girl and your only daughter. Your, love her like family today. Come and love this precious woman. Sisters of the Lord, pray with her. Is there any men any strong men, any strong men, any courageous men in this room that wants to get free from pornography, that wants to get free from alcohol, drawing them down into the place of dependency. Is there any strong men in this room? Any one strong man? Any one strong man in this room? Anyone that wants strength to overcome, power to do what's right, power to live what's right. 
Is there any man that needs to wake up for their family? Wake up for their wife. Oh, Kala Shatakala. Itikitela Sundolobakala. Sidere Babala Nikide Rakata Sale Sha. Iti. Men of God, come along this brother. We love you. We love you. We welcome you. Holy Spirit, we don't want to grieve you. We want to come to you as we are, open-hearted, bringing you in. Holy Spirit, purge, burn out, set a fire down in our soul that we can't contain, that we can't control. We don't want goosebumps. Take all those goosebumps away if you got to. What we want is power over sin. What we want is power over darkness, power over depression, power over alcoholism, power over pornography, power, Holy Spirit. We need power. If we never get chill bumps again, if we never feel nothing again, we'll be glad. We will dance. We will sing because the Holy Ghost has set us free from the bondages of sin. The Holy Ghost has set us free from the temptation of the evil one. There is power in the Holy Ghost to set you free today. Power to set you free today from the depression and the guilt and the shame and the bondage. Oh, let's worship. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship. Let's worship. Hallelujah. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more. Can I have some altar workers to come forward, elders and deacons to come pray with these brothers and sisters up here? Hallelujah. We're just going to worship to this song. If you still want to come forward, you are welcome to come forward to these elders and deacons and they will pray with you. Hallelujah. Let's take a few moments to sing this out to Jesus. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. Set a fire. 